You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. So with all that's happening around our nation and in this world, it can get quite depressing. With the black community and the police community, we can think that for people like us, people who are of a different race or profession, that this doesn't really apply. That's kind of distant and far. And so you look all over Facebook and any other social media outlet, and you'll see images and articles of people who are either against the police or against the BLM, the Black Lives Movement, Matter Movements. But in the midst of all the racial tension and bigoted responses and slandering towards and against both sides, there are some in the midst who are raising voice, raising their voices for peace, raising up their voices for reconciliation, people who want justice, but justice with love too. There are, there are stories of policemen embracing uh, black neighbors to express the pain that both are going through. There is a movement towards peace, and not just peace, but understanding too, that one should not paint with a broad brush, that generalizations and stereotypes and ultimately not having a personal relationship with, so, with those who look or act different from us should warrant discrimination or hostility, but there's a movement towards reconciliation. Is that what we want? Amen. We want peace. There's a movement towards communicating with those who look different than you. There's a movement to uphold justice, but uphold justice with love. So today, if you've opened up, if you posted or shared the stories of this past week, of these past week's events in hopes to, in hopes to spread awareness and hopefully have those who follow you online or Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, whatever, that hopefully they could eventually share in your views. I say that's good. That's fine. Do more of that, that's fine, but it's still not good enough. If you have an African-American friend and you, and you hug them and, you're, and you uh, are putting more effort in trying to uh, relate to them and love them and, and be compassionate or maybe you're going around giving sympathetic handshakes towards an officer, that may boost morale and it's good too, but it's still not enough. Maybe marching across the mall in D.C., protesting the violence of both sides, and also voicing your outrage towards lax gun laws may offer a sense of solidarity with those who share your views and concerns, and that's good, but still, it's not, not enough. And I want to ask you guys here, do you know what's more powerful than any of those things that you could be doing? Do you know what's more powerful than the shout of a million people crying out against justice? Do you know what's more powerful than the march of a million people demonstrating against the brokenness of our justice system? Do you know what's more powerful than staying up all day and night sharing Facebook articles or spreading awareness and changing or maybe even changing your profile pic to express your solidarity with those who are struggling? Do you know what's more powerful than all those things combined? All those things are happening right here and right now. The most powerful thing that we could be doing here as Christians is praying. It's prayer. Do you believe that? It's prayer. God, he does the changing. And it's God's hands that works through the prayers of a righteous person. 
It's prayer that we need to do. Because our calling is more than just making our society a little bit more tolerant. It's more than social justice and making sure people get what's fair. It's more than crimes going down and peace going up. We need to pray because prayer does something more than just social changes. Prayer pierces through all those layers because the underlying issue isn't the actions or inactions of a few. It's the spirit that's at stake. It's a heart issue, you see. It's what's underneath all the pain. It's what's underneath all the brokenness and all the sadness that we see all around us. You see, we need to pray because true cultural changes, true social reform, and true justice can only happen when the Spirit of God moves in the hearts of the individuals, bringing them to Christ. It is through prayer. That's why apart from Christ, a society externally, outwardly can look perfect but they will still deal with the root of corruption, justice, sin, and eventual death. Social transformation may be the talk right now, but spiritual transformation is at the heart of the matter. And it's what God wants his children to pray for. Do you believe in the power of prayer? Our passage today speaks on that. Our text today tells the story of an amazing miracle that was done by God, but by the hands of Peter and John as they went to the temple. There they saw this crippled guy, a lame man, a beggar, who was carried every single day to the temple gate so that he could beg and at least get some money. So in the name of Jesus, Peter goes and he heals that man. Acts chapter 3 tells us that not only was he healed, but he showed everyone that he was healed. He ran around, he walked around, he jumped around, and he was leaping all, all around all the while praising God, saying, look at me, I'm healed, praise the Lord. No one can deny that this was a miracle. He was, after all, the same crippled man who was carried to that same gate every single day, day by day, time after time, moment by moment, year after year, maybe even decade after decade, and now here he is, jumping around, all healed. So after the healing, people began to gather around. And so Peter, he carpe diemed, he seized the moment, and he started preaching a powerful message of the gospel, and a lot of people came to know the Lord. Well, the word spread, and so the Jewish leaders, they got a hold of Peter and John, they arrested him, threw him into prison. The next day, Peter makes his defense before the Sanhedrin, which is like the Jewish Supreme Court, and the Bible says that they were shocked at Peter. They're shocked by his boldness. Not only that, they're shocked by the content of his message, that it was that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. And so the council, they murmured and discussed among themselves and realized that what they did at the temple, what Peter and John did to that poor beggar, uh, crippled beggar, that it indeed was a miracle. They had to discuss that, to say it was indeed a miracle and that we're okay with it. You heal a person, you save someone's life, we're okay with that. They said there's more. We'll accept the fact that it was a miracle. And we're not going to deny that because we can't deny it. But one thing that you have to listen to us, Peter and John, is this. You can't keep preaching in the name of Jesus. That must stop. So, of course, Peter and John, we're not going to back down from that. And they say, we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Well, the authorities obviously ticked off that these guys weren't going to do what they were told. They threatened them some more. Probably, we're going to kill you. We're going to, we're going to flog you. We're going to take away all your possessions. We're going to do all this stuff if you keep doing this. But eventually, they let him go. Peter and John, they returned quickly back to the other disciples and told them everything that had happened. You see, there's not only growing opposition against people who look different than you. 
But there is and always will be a growing opposition against God. I remember back in high school, I had a creative writing assignment. And if anyone knows about creative writing, it's pretty much a license to write anything, right? And unless your grammar is way off, it's an easy A. I don't know, I'm, I'm asking Susanna right here. She's a high school English teacher. I don't know if that's true or not. I'm not ho- hoping to be offensive or anything. But it was a, it was a everyone kind of knew, a creative essay meant that you could write whatever you want. And it was pretty easy, whatever. So the teacher said, you can write on any song, any song you want. And then she also gave us a few other criteria to kind of uphold. And so I wrote a song. I wrote a paper about a song. And um, it was a song of a, of a band called DC Talk. Yeah, silence. I know. That's what I expected. <laughs> now, I rarely listen to music then or even now. But the few times I did, it was always a Christian band of some sort. So I wrote a paper on a song that discussed, and I forget the title of the song, but it was discussing the superficiality of the world, that success can only take you so far, that fame and fortune are fleeting and doesn't offer true substance and purpose to the human soul. It's a pretty heavy song, right? Maybe, maybe I'm the way I am because of the songs I listen to. I don't know. But then in the song, it was talking about the gospel too. So I also wrote about a man named Jesus and how he came to be the perfect sacrifice for us. And that the only way we can find true contentment in this world is by knowing who the creator is, why he created, what he created us for, and how we can have a saving relationship with him. In other words, I just pretty much wrote the gospel towards the end, my conclusion. Well, I spent some time on it. I thought it was a good paper. I had fun writing it. But I ended up getting a C-. minus. When everyone else, all my friends, even the dumb ones, they got an A. Thinking back, I should have saved my paper. But on the margin, I remember what she wrote. In the beginning of my introduction, talking as I wrote my thesis and just my idea, she said, highlighting it, she goes, interesting. I go, okay, I'll take that as a compliment. Then she went down towards the uh, parts where the songs were talking about kind of the the supernatural aspect of God and his movement in the hearts of man. And she wrote nonsensical. And then, finally, towards the end uh, of my conclusion, my gospel conclusion, she scribbled a couple of stuff on the side, which I forget what it was, but at the end, her her concluding thoughts were this. You need to pick a different song. Now, maybe if I was bold enough, I would have brought this up to the principal or someone. But at that point in my life, I just want to stay under the radar. And there wasn't any grammatical errors she highlighted or underlined, which brought me to the conclusion, only conclusion that my low grade was ultimately based on the, on the content, namely my message of faith. Now, I remember a friend talking to her before, and she was talking about how she was an atheist and that religion and organized religion is the most ridiculous, stupidest thing in the world. So I knew where she was coming from. Well, either way, those last words on my paper really lingered with me throughout the years. Pick a different song. Isn't that what the world is constantly telling us to do? Pick a different song. The Sanhedrin council said to Peter and John, yes, yes, I can't deny you helped that guy. Much like my teacher saying at, at first that my writing was interesting. But then they said to the disciples, but no more preaching in Jesus' name. Peter, John, pick a different song. But like Peter and John's response, my response is, I can't, I like this song. 
Brothers and sisters, if you stay in your bubble, you can live the rest of your life in relative peace. No enemies, everyone just adoring you. It'll be easy peasy. But if you want to live in any way like that of Christ, you must expect backlash. You can expect people to think you're dumb, uneducated, emotional, narrow-minded, and so on and so forth. They feel justified in attacking you, maligning your reputation, questioning your character. Let me ask you this. What would you do if someone told you to pick a different song? The early church believers faced that question nearly their entire Christian lives. Some being sent to prison, a lot being sent to prison to die. You know, right now, uh, according to Chuck Colson, or sorry, this was a decade ago, Chuck Colson, who worked uh, for Richard Nixon, this is when he worked for Richard Nixon, he wasn't a Christian. I just want to preface that. Um, but he's a famous pastor now, and he's a writer of many books. Not only that, he, he's the one who founded the Prison Fellowship among many other Christian organizations. He said, citing his numbers from the Regent University study reports, he says more Christians have been martyred for their faith in this century alone than in the past 19 centuries combined. The list of afflictions reads like alphabet soup of cruelty, amputation, bombing, crucifixion, flogging, kidnapping, murder, prison, rape, slavery, torture. Just as in the days of Daniel, he said, the presence of people who refuse to bow before state-sanctioned idols sends tyrants into genocidal rage. From last year, guys, alone, the number of Christians killed by ISIS alone was 7,000, according to Open Door USA. And although it's extremely sad, it's also nothing new. And this number will continue to grow over the years. Tertullian, an early Christian church father, he said this. He said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And I believe that. With all the persecution that's happening around the world, with all the killing that's done in the name of Islamic extremism, while there has been immense turmoil within the Islamic State and its people because of the exposure of what Islam is capable of, these past several years has been the greatest revival in Islam. Did you know that? The greatest convert of Muslims turning to, Christ, to, turning to Christ. Truly the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. But I ask you all this, what if someone tells you you can't bring your Bible to school or work from now on? My wife, who used to work for the U.S. Navy, uh, they were told, because she always did her quiet time in her, in her clinic on the desk, and she put on, her, on her desk she'd always put her Bible there. She was told by the higher-ups that she is no longer able to bring her Bible in and have it visible, that she is no longer able to counsel uh, any of her uh, patients in a way that is influenced by her faith. And I said, what are you going to do? And she's like, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm like, you go, girl. <laughs> what if someone says that your cross necklace is offensive and should be taken off? What if you get threatened with losing your job if you shared faith with your coworker? We can't keep living as closet Christians. When I, when I visited my in-laws down in Alabama, everyone and their mothers wore camouflage. They wore it to Starbucks. They wore it to the gas station. They, I don't know why I'm starting to sound like, have a southern twang right now. But um, I even saw construction guys wear camouflage with their reflective safety gear, and I thought that was a bit of a contradiction. Okay. I don't have time to explain. <clears throat> but I remember uh, talking to a, to a customer at some massive sporting goods store. And right next to the aisle of inflatable pools, which I got for my daughter, there was the aisle that, sell, that sold shotguns and ammunition and crossbows and knives and, much, and more camouflage. Well, 
Um, this guy struck a conversation with me. He says, where are you from? And I said, D.C. And then he started talking about a new gun he had just got from there. And um, I think mainly because we were just standing, again, in front of the gun aisle. But he just went on and on about the action, bolt, sniper, bullet, thingamajig, whatever. I don't understand what he was saying. And he said, you know, this is really cool. And I said, wow, that sounds really cool too. And if I wasn't so scared of him at that moment, I probably would have asked if I could see it or try it out. When you're passionate about something, it becomes a part of who you are. You can't hide it. Every life situation is paired with, as a Christian, what would God think of this? How can I glorify Jesus in this? Every decision of our lives. You don't need to stand on some soapbox to confess your love for Christ, but your love for Christ should be as evident as the ring on your finger declaring your marriage with your spouse. Don't pick another song, people. Stand firm in your faith, people. Declare the message of hope in life. It will be an unpopular message, but it is the only message that people need to know. Don't pick a different song. From verses 24 30, we get to disciples' response to all this. You see, they could have organized a rally to affect public opinion. They could have staged a march or a sit-in. They could have written a letter to the editor. They could have taken a poll to prove that the majority of the people surveyed disapproved of the Sanhedrin's policy. They might have even tried their own campaign to intimidate and smear and threaten those who opposed them, but they didn't do any of that. What did they do? They got together. They quickly got together with their church members. And then they prayed. They had a prayer meeting. In the midst of crisis, in the midst of someone saying, you can't spread the word of Christ. You must essentially deny your faith. Keep it in. Don't share it. What did they do? Did they freak out? No, they prayed. And I think it's important for us to see the sequence of events. So let me spell it out. God, he worked a miracle through Peter and John. A lame man was healed. They preached the gospel. Then many people were saved. Then they were arrested and thrown in jail. They were threatened in order not to preach. They were then released, and they told the church what happened, and the church called for a prayer meeting. Or you can put it this way. Preaching led to persecution, which led to prayer. That's how it always happens, people. And that's how it'll always go. This is a pattern through church history. We preach, and the world persecutes, and the church goes in prayer. And that's always been, for some reason, God's plan of action. So I'd like to break down this prayer for us because it's an awesome prayer. Hear me out. This is what they say. Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in the city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan are predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their hearts and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and the signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So here are some observations I made from that prayer. This is how they prayed, church. They prayed in a united way. They were united in prayer. James 5.16 tells us that we're supposed to pray and confess to one another. 2 Chronicles 7 states that God says, If my people pray, and if they humble themselves, I will heal their land. Church, we have 
uh, EM prayer meeting at 1.40, p.m., just a few minutes before the service starts. We come together, we pray together, and I want to encourage you guys, if you, if, you don't, if you didn't know about that, come a little bit earlier. Don't be late for praise, but come even earlier and join us in that prayer group. Pray for me. Pray for the sermon. Pray for the members. Pray for the struggles of our churches that we might be facing. Pray for one another. But also, we have other opportunities for prayer, for corporate prayer too. You can come to the early morning service. Like verse 24 says, this is when all of us as a church raises our voice together in prayer. I'm always telling the EM staff to come together to pray together. And by doing so, what happens is all our hearts are put on the same page. It brings us all into the alignment with what God wants rather than what we want. And so I want to encourage you guys all, as you continue on with your small groups, by the way. Are you guys enjoying your small groups? <laughs> okay. Maybe there are certain members that don't show up. All right? Maybe it's hard. Right now I'm seeing so many guilty faces. They're like, oh, please don't call me out. And for those of you who are small group leaders and you've taken on this challenge, the 10 men and the 8 women, right? I want to encourage you guys all, to the ones who do come out, even if they don't come out, wherever you're sitting, wherever you're standing, wherever you're planning to meet, you stay your ground. You make your mark right there and you pray for them. You pray that they come. You pray. Don't give up on them. Stand firm. And you pray, and you pray for your group. And if you have one or two other people joining you, then you take time, you pray with them and for them. You want to build up a small group, one that cares for one another, one that supports each other, one that's willing to bask in the presence of the Spirit together. In order for that to happen, a spiritual revolution must happen. And that starts with prayer. You must pray together. Secondly, the prayers of the church, it was fervent. Now, we've heard that word before. We've kind of used it casually, but it's not a casual word. The Latin word of fervent means boil. Boil. It's a passionate prayer. It's a prayer that stretches and that's earnest. It's hot. It's zealous. And it's a prayer that struggles and strives to be heard and prayed. I'm not saying this just because I, have, I am of Korean descent. But let me say this. Some of our parents, our parents' generation, they know how to pray. Can, you, can I hear an amen? Yeah. When I traveled the world, I visited a lot of different churches, different denominations across the globe, and I visited all sorts of different people from all different walks of life. But one thing they all knew or at least wanted to do was this, to pray Korean style, as they call it. They go, all right, let's pray Korean style. I'm looking around like, okay. And so that, for them, that means this, shouting in prayer, screaming in prayer, calling, calling out to the Lord in prayer. Korean styles become synonymous with fervent style. And that's how the church prayed. I want to take that back. They prayed fervently, not Korean, not in a Korean way. In fact, actually, I was blessed a couple weeks ago when our men's large group met downstairs in Hosanna Hall. The Spirit of God broke out and led us all into a time of fervent praying. It was wonderful. Praying out loud, pray deeply, pray earnestly, let your prayers be hot. Turn to your neighbor and say, let your prayers be hot. Third, the prayer was scriptural. Verses 25, 26, it's a quote from, from Psalms chapter 2. And by quoting scripture, we're affirming the words of God and his agreement of his promises that he's made with his people. That's what we're called to study scripture too. Turn to your neighbor and say, study scripture. scripture. And say, pray in scripture. scripture. I remember um, a while back ago, I had a youth kid come, come to me and, um, and I was reprimanding him because I'm good at that. 
right? And I said, why did you do that, man? And he goes, because you told me to. And I, and I said, oh, yeah. I can not say anything against that, right? It's a, it's a poor illustration, but let me say this. Every time we pray in Scripture and we're in need and our circumstances are difficult, we can pray out to God and say, God, you said you are God who heals. You said that you are God who provides. You said that you are a faithful God who will never leave me or forsake me. You said that this is who you are, and you stand by your character. You stand by your promises, and your promises, Lord, may be a reality in my life. You see, that, that's what you're saying when you're praying in Scripture. You're putting the Lord's words back up and saying, God, you don't lie. You don't say falsehoods. This is true. Fourthly, it was a believing prayer. Verses 27, 28. It's actually quite incredible. By, by expressing this, the people were stating what happened to Jesus and why it happened to Jesus. In other words, they understood who was behind Herod and Pontius Pilate. They knew who was behind the Jewish leaders the entire time. They knew it was God's doing. That it was God's doing. That even though the evil was done to Christ in crucifying him, that somehow God had ordained the outcome, which means that the people were saying, God, I don't get why things happen the way they do, but you are sovereign. You are in control of all things. In other words, they believed in their prayers because they believed in whom they were praying to. Okay? They believed in whom they were praying to. It's not the source and strength of your prayer, but the one in whom you're praying to that has the strength. That's what we're praying to God. And fifthly, their prayer was specific. They prayed for three things. You know, if you ever hear Pastor Lim's uh, dating sermon, it's always funny. But one of the examples that he always gives is that this one person, uh, this lady, she always prayed, she was always praying for her husband, right? And she was always praying, and she always prayed kind of in a general way, saying, I want like a Christian guy, blah, 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 blah. And so her pastor or someone told her, no, pray specifically. So, so she started praying, I want him to be 5859, five, to have this kind of bill, to, to have these kind of eyes, and to, to have this kind of profession or profession like that or all that stuff. And she prayed that earnestly for I don't know how long, and it, it came to be. Um, you can do that if you want. Uh, but <clears throat> I don't think that's what we're talking about here, Okay. Uh, the three things that these people pray specifically for, one was this, that God, he would pay attention to the threats of the Jewish leaders. He's saying, Lord, don't turn a blind eye to this. Like, no, this is what's going on in my life right now. This is the pain. This, this is the struggle that I am facing right now. These are my threats. Lord, hear me out. So it's telling the Lord the problem, the issue. The circumstance. Number two, that God will give them boldness to preach the gospel despite all the threats. Do you, do you, see, do you see what their desire is? Their desire isn't for comfort. Their desire isn't to be, in the, in the, uh, to be to, uh, against the wall and just kind of avoid any tension. Their, their desire is for God and for Christ to be known. So they're saying, God, give me strength to keep doing what I know I'm called to do. Give me the boldness to share the gospel, to preach the word. And three, they said that God, they're asking God that he would send more miracles. In other words, so there would be more opportunities for people to proclaim the gospel. Bring more people, Lord. Make, do something crazy, supernatural. Lord, bring a revival in our land. Bring something crazy, awesome, that it would lead us to having a, a platform to preach your word. 
And but if you notice, there wasn't any praying in terms of seeking God's uh, curses upon those who were wicked. These weren't imprecatory. They weren't saying, Lord, and this person who hurt me, Lord, may, may she rue the day. And I pray that you would just condemn her into the sulfurs of the fire. No, none of that stuff. They didn't pray down curses on the, on the dad who hurt me or the mom who neglected me or the brother who disowned me or anything like that. They didn't pray curses down on the boss who didn't promote me. They didn't pray curses down on that teacher who gave me a C minus. They didn't do any of that stuff. Instead, they said, Lord, have your, make, I want you to be known. I want you to be known. I want you to know what I'm going through. But I also want you to know that I, I need the strength to keep going. I need your strength to give me the endurance and the perseverance to keep proclaiming being what I was called to do, and that is to be, what, an ambassador of Christ. So we need to pray specifically, and when we do, it clarifies our minds. Do you know that? What, what if you pray in the general? You say, Lord, have mercy on me. God will say, okay, what do you want me to do? You say, Lord, please come to me. Okay, what do you want me to do? Lord, please bless me. Okay, but what do you want me to do? Lord, help me. Okay, but what do you want me to do? It brings clarity to us. And in that same vein, praying specifically helps define our needs. Sometimes what we believe we need at that moment isn't what we really need. We can pray that my coworker becomes nicer, but maybe God is wanting to change and move in your heart first. Maybe our prayer should be God Make me nicer. Give me greater compassion. Give me more understanding. Prayer specifically, praying specifically also helps us to grow our faith. When we say, bless me, Lord, it's so generic. We could be tempted to say that it was just a coincidence if something happened. It was lucky. But when you pray specifically, you know it was God's doing and nothing else. And in my experience, over and over again, God's faithfulness in hearing and answering my prayers are correlated to my specific prayers because the more specific they are, the more I see and how they're marked and remembered, how I can remember his answers. And each time that happened, my faith grew. So brothers and sisters, I say this. When you pray, pray very specifically. Pray clearly. And so whatever you're praying for right now, brothers and sisters, have a prayer group. Have, a, have some sisters, have some brothers that you can gather together. I don't care if it's once a week or once a month. Gather together and fervently pray. Pray scripturally, voicing the promises of what God will do and who he is. And believe in your prayers and pray specifically. Amen? Lastly, the church receives an amazing answer in verse 31. God, he answers them by giving them spirit. In three ways. First is this, that the place was shaken. It was a sign of God's presence. Guys, have you ever worshipped the Lord and prayed to him? And when you worshipped him, or even hearing a message or anything, you felt the presence of the Lord. It was like an electric feeling, perhaps. Or maybe you felt weak in your knees. Or maybe, maybe you felt faint. Or you felt this heaviness upon you or something. Or maybe you even heard the voice of the Lord speak into your heart. Maybe something like that. Now, I'm not saying that is the actual way, the standard to hear the, or to experience the reality of the Lord. But I'm trying to say this. My point is you can tangibly experience the Lord. His presence is real. It can be felt. You know, being a Christian and experiencing and encountering God is not in theory. You can experience the presence of the Lord. Do you believe that? 
Not only that, these guys are a filtered spirit. God had divinely enabled the people to live by the way of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that now you can go around and touch people and they'll be healed immediately, although that could happen. But he's saying that by the Spirit, they were transformed. They were renewed. There was evidence of God at work in their life, the way that they speak to people, and the way that they respond to circumstances, and the way that they prioritize their life, and the way that they view sin, all these things. It's the work of the Spirit in their, in their lives, in their bodies. But another way, and the last way the Lord responded was that he gave them boldness to continue speaking the Word of God. The Spirit of God will give you boldness to continue to soldier on for his glory. Brothers and sisters, clearly the message here is this. The Lord is asking us, will you fulfill the Great Commission? Will you go out and not just not just live out the goodness of what it means to be a Christian, but will you also profess the goodness of Christ? I know that's something that we all struggle with. We all say, well, she's the evangelist, or, she, or he's the person who's really bold in his faith, or he's the, kind of the, the community missionary, if you will. No, no. The whole church had one desire, and that was to make sure that Christ was known, and that was through evangelism. Wherever you are, wherever you go, I want to exhort you all and challenge you all to take that step of faith and share the good word of the Lord. Share it. Don't hide. Don't be scared. And if you are, say, Lord, I pray for boldness like these men and women prayed for. Give me the strength. Open my eyes to see how important this is. So why do we pray? We have to pray because we're involved in a battle that is greater than what we can see. We wake up every day thinking that our enemy is the terrible boss that we have to see every time we enter the office. We think the enemy is our professor who attacks our every thought and word in front of the class. We think the enemy is our neighbor who keeps blasting the music late at night. We think our enemy is the person who keeps attacking our faith and belittling our opinions and thoughts. That may be our battle, but the war is of cosmic proportions. You see, the enemy is Satan. Turn to your neighbor and say that. The enemy is Satan. I wonder if you ever said that to anyone before. The enemy is Satan. The enemy is this demonic force that corrupts, divides, and brings fear and anger and mistrust into the heart of man. Like I said before, this is not a social issue we're facing. All the stuff that's going on right now this past week is not just a social issue. It is a spiritual issue. That's why Ephesians 6 states this. Listen to me. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with prayer and supplication. Who is our enemy? It's not the person next to you. It's not your neighbor. 
It's not the person who even ridiculed you and made fun of you and has slandered your name and has hurt you in ways that have forced you to cry and, 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 to, and to just be tormented day and night. It's, even not that, it's not that person. It's not the person who are on the way to church who cut you off on the road and who flipped you the bird. It's not the person who didn't promote you. Our enemy is Satan and Satan alone. And he wants us to keep thinking that he doesn't exist, that we need to forget about him. He wants our focus of our prayer to be about the look of the plant rather than the root of the plant. But also know, brothers and sisters, that prayer is our chief weapon. That's, that's what we've got. And it's a good weapon. You believe that? Again, we could put up a million posts to display our outrage against the injustices that have happened this week, but that's not enough. Because while we can do many things, once we've prayed, we can do nothing until we have prayed. We need to start with prayer, people. Always start with prayer. Everything, little things, big things, everything you must pray. Start with prayer, people. Do you believe that? We want our ministry to grow and be blessed with people who give their lives to the Lord. Then we must also prepare a table of prayer for them. If we want our church to make a mark in our neighboring communities, then let's pray for the souls that we'll come in contact with. If you want change in your life or in the lives of those around you, change that will go beyond the surface, then we must pray to God that the Spirit will work in the root, that he will bring spiritual transformation. That is the only way, the only way that we can find true reconciliation, true peace, and true understanding. Amen? Okay, let's pray. In light of what we've just discussed and heard today, I want to give you guys just a little bit more time to do what you've just heard, which is to pray. You know, a lot of times, uh, Ian Mounds, he said that a lot of times people think we need to pray for the battle, whatever issue this we're dealing with, but how many times, if we're, if we're willing to be honest with ourselves, is that we would admit that prayer itself is a battle. It's hard to pray. It's hard to wake up or stay awake and pray. It's hard to try to find our words and pray. It's hard to even consider praying. That's when you got to pray against the enemy. You see, he knows what he's trying to do. And sadly, our mistake is that we don't know what he's trying to do. So we just allow it and leave it. And our prayer life becomes so just weak and the opposite of fervent. The opposite of scripture. The opposite of specific. Our prayer lives become just so dull because we forget who we're praying to. Brothers and sisters, I want to challenge you guys to think about the Lord. Think of his promises. I know there is power in prayer. Many of us here, you have come to know the Lord Jesus, where now you can sit before him at his heavenly banqueting table because someone before you or someone 
Maybe your mother, maybe your father, maybe your sibling has, was praying and fasting for you, for you to know the Lord. You know, if, if, this, if this ministry, this EM ministry, if we're doing well, if we're growing, we're spiritually, quote-unquote, successful, but none of us are praying, do you know why we're doing well? It's because someone else is praying for us. To pray is to take ownership of the grace that God has given you. And to understand your role. That we are not just recipients now, but we can actually play on the offense. That we have a role in this, an active role. You know who are the mightiest spiritual warriors? It's not the pastors who do what I do, stand up on stage spewing spit and preaching the word of God. No, the most powerful people are those elderly women on the KM side praying day and night. It's the ones who know the Lord and the power that he wields. Maybe your prayer right now needs to be Lord, help me to change my prayer life starting this week. Help me to take, a, take some time every single day, morning or evening, maybe both, preferably both, and just pray. And give me your words to speak and words to pray. Help me to look at Scripture and, and pray that over me and pray that over my situation. Don't tell me you got nothing else to pray for. Brothers and sisters, can you pray for me? Can you pray for me? Can you pray for my family? Can you pray for the staff here? Can you pray for our small group leaders? Can you pray for the person next to you? Just praying for us here, just this ministry alone, will take us hours. I'm not saying it's the quantity. But man, there's a lot to pray for. So let's take a moment or maybe a couple moments, and just take our time in prayer. Okay, let's pray.